recognized blogger, Bible teacher extraordinaire, Eldorado, Elder Rodney Boy. tickled my funny bone when I first saw it was everything I dreamed. <laughs> thank you, Nathan. Uh, Gazorn and Platt, um, thank you. Now, that's, that's the response you usually get, because people think you've sneezed, right? <laughs> Gazorn and Platt! Mm, God bless you. But you got to be careful in a room full of Pentecostal charismatic, because you say Gazorn and Platt, somebody's going to have an interpretation. Thus <laughs> saith the Lord, I, I'm not getting nothing. Actually, because Orrin Platt, if we're going to blame anybody, of course, we will blame Wayne Berry. Yeah, amen. <laughs> amen. A few weeks ago, uh, I knew I was going to be talking about the Bible. And uh, during a Wednesday night uh, service, we started talking uh, before service started, uh, as I was prepping before the Lord, and not primping, but prepping before the Lord, and, uh, uh, you know, to, for the Word, Wayne came in, and we began talking about Bob Newhart and uh, comedy albums. And of course, Bob Newhart, how many know who Bob Newhart is? Yeah, you've probably seen him on TV, the Bob Newhart show, uh, where he plays psychologist uh, Bob Hartley. Uh, you've probably seen, or the old Newhart show, where he played a innkeeper in Vermont. His name was Dick Loudon at that point. And then he had another show called Bob, uh, where he played a guy named Bob. And... Um, <laughs> But before he was a TV star, he uh, was a stand-up comic, and he did comedy routines, and uh, one of his famous albums is called The Button-Down Mind of Bob Newhart. And this is where Wayne Berry comes in. Him and his father used to listen to these albums and just laugh hysterically. And, and so the word Gazorna Platt came up, and my mind clicked. I said, oh, yeah, Gazorna Platt. That will go what we're teaching. So uh, I want you to hear Bob Newhart do it, and it goes... A little something like this. Uh, in a number of mathematics books, they made reference to uh, something that either proves infinity or the law of probability. They claim that if you take an infinite number of monkeys and an infinite number of typewriters and you set them down and they just type away, that eventually, uh, given enough time, they would type all the great books. <laughs> yes. Now, they're going to type a lot of gibberish, but eventually they will type all the great books. <laughs> now, if they ever tried this, they would have to hire guys, you know, to check the, the monkeys to see if they were turning out anything worthwhile. <laughs> so, I would like to present a day in the life of uh, one of these monitors. 
Uh, Harry, I'm, I'm going to check post 14, see if he's, he's got anything. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that poor devil's ever going to write anything, you know that? <laughs> Harry, hold on. Post 15 here has something. I think this is famous or something. Uh, to be or not to be, that is the Gazornan plaque. <laughs> Notice there were no cuss words in that humor, and it made me chuckle, still does to this day. Uh, well, my uh, topic is going to be uh, one of the tenets of the faith and what we believe about the Bible. Uh, the, the infinite number of monkeys and infinite number of typewriters given enough time, they will randomly come up with something. But we're not talking about random chance about what we believe. We're talking about God designed divine communication. God had a thought. He spoke it. Somebody wrote it down. We read it. Faith comes. And we can walk in the power of God. That's what we were designed to do, to hear God's voice. Francis Schaeffer had the book called uh, God is Not Silent. We are not listening. But God is in a constant mode of speaking to us. And, uh, and Jesus was constantly saying, let him who has ears to hear, hear. What he was saying, let him who has these flaps on the side of your head, listen up. Perceive what I'm saying. And uh, as a speech language pathologist, anytime you start talking about uh, words, I get excited. Words, language, sentences, communication, etc., etc., etc. So, uh, the tenets of the faith read this way. We start out with we believe. Powerful word, believe. You know, it means to have faith in, upon, or with respect to a person or thing, uh, to give credence to, or entrust, or commit to. Uh, if you read the Amplified Bible, it says, like, for God so loved the world that. He gave uh, his only begotten son that whosoever believes, and then it puts in parentheses, whoever trusts in, whoever clings to, whoever relies on, whoever adheres to, shall have everlasting life. So this belief thing that we're believing is not just a mental ascension to a bunch of facts. I mean, you can believe anything. You can believe the, the, the moon is made out of cheese. It's not. I went there personally one time in a dream, and I uh, got a slice, and it's nasty. It makes Limburger smell like a rose. But uh, so you can believe stuff, you know, but you want to believe the truth. When Jesus was praying the Lord's Prayer, and I'm not talking about our Father who art in heaven, when he was praying to the Father in John 17, he was praying for the boys, and he says, Father, sanctify them by truth. And then he defined what truth was. He says, thy word is truth. So we are looking at a belief system in the truth of the word of God. Can I get an amen on the truth of the word of God? Now, um, uh, well, before we get started, as I was sitting on there praying, 
the Lord gave me a word about, and I think this will tie in, <clears throat> about the, uh, the parable of the sower, parable of the seed, parable of the, of the uh, soil, depending on which view you're looking at it. Uh, you, of course, you'll find that in Mark 4 and, and Luke 8. And there are different soil types, but what all these soils have common is the seed. And the seed is defined as the word that is planted in the various soils. And there are various things in the soil that either Satan, a bird, comes and steals. As powerful as the word is, you realize it can be stolen from you. As powerful as the word is, it can be planted and it can be scorched and dried up and, and, and no roots are taken. As powerful as the word is, it can be choked out by anxiety, worry, tension, cares of this world. But the, what the Lord was dealing with me about was that uh, there's a lot of soil out here. And there's different levels of soil, different conditions of soil, but by faith, I'm speaking forth now, you are good soil. I know there are things in your life, but God is doing a holy uh, cultivation of you this very second as he speaks to you about certain areas that have been choking out the powerful seed of the word where it can't take root and it can't produce harvest in your life. But you, my dear friends, are what Luke 8 calls good soil. And it says in Luke 8, 15, and the seed in the good ground, in the good soil. And this is what you are. These are the ones who have heard the word. God's spoken to you about something. A long time ago or just before you came in here, he's spoken to you about something. And you know that he's spoken to you. It's not something you've got to make up. You've heard the word in an honest and good heart because of what he said to you. He made you this way. And, and you hold it fast and you bear fruit with perseverance. You keep on keeping on no matter what it looks like in your life. The seed is there. Seed that you thought was dormant and would never grow has begun to sprout in your life. It's coming up. Things that you have been holding on to, do not give up. Persevere. Trust in Him. We want to believe in the Word that He's planted in you. We want to trust in that. We want to rely on that. We want to cling to that. We want to adhere to that Word, and nothing will tear you apart from Him. And what he desires to happen in your life. We stand against those things that would try to rob, would try to steal, kill, and destroy, and bring you into nothing but, but uh, rotten fruit. You're going to have good fruit. Hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. It doesn't matter the fold. Just realize it's God doing it. That's free. That was not in the message. So, <clears throat> we believe... Number one, that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. It's not just a random chance of a bunch of monkeys getting together, throwing something together. It is something that has been breathed out of God by His Spirit. Ruach, or pneuma, which means spirit, or breath, or rushing wind. And God had a thought, and He's breathing it out, and He has inspired over 40 people to transcribe this thing into scripture, written down word, what we call this Bible, 
And he used everybody from prophets to priests to kings to uneducated to educated to Jews to Gentiles to tax collectors to, to kings, statements, peasants, fishermen, prophets, philosophers, and poets. Ah, poets. And he used those people to collect and write down this library. What we have here is a wonderful collection of books. And you t this was before there were computers that could take something like this small with a thousand books and put it on your Kindle Fire, whatever you read. This is a book. It's called the Bible. Everybody know what the Bible is, right? The Bible. And this is a collection of 66 books. A library with 66 books, uh, 39 in the um, Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. Um, and this is a great uh, fact. In this Bible, there are 774,746 words. That's a lot of words, isn't it? This is where you say, yes, it is, Rodney. <laughs> it's okay to respond back. Uh, <laughs> the Bible. B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Mm. Well... I've been reading the Bible, and all I know is this. <clears throat> Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so, along with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Childlike faith, that's why I try to approach this thing. Man, sometimes you get so intellectually involved in this thing, you lose the message. You know, <clears throat> you got theologians, I love theologians, thank God for the theologians. Thank God for somebody who counts 774,000 words, 746. Thank God for some people like that that have that gift and anointing. Thank God for theologians. Thank God for uh, seminary professors and people who get all their degrees and all that. Thank God for the education. I'm pro-education. However, I find it very hard for me to read through the Bible in one year. I'm all the time stopping and circling and thinking and backtracking. I never can make it through the Bible in one year. I'm too intellectual for that process. Not that I'm intellectual. It's just I think too much about it. I want to be able to flow and read, which I do. I'm getting back to that. And just to be able to have the life come out of this thing back into me, not trying to figure it out, and not trying to prove this and prove that. Hallelujah for the birth word. You know, in the natural, we speak uh, all the time. Uh, everybody speaks thoughts. You breathe in, comes out your vocal cords, the vocal cords vibrate, sends up sound, you put it in your mouth, blah, 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 words come out. 
And then the words go to somebody who's listening to them, hits the ear, goes to the eardrum, hits three bones, sets things into motion from a mechanical, then to a hydraulic state where fluid starts flowing in a snail that lives inside your ear called the cochlea, and so, and then as that water goes back and forth, as the bones start doing this, it sparks little tiny hairs, and it sends electrical impulses to the eighth cranial nerve, which goes to your brain, and you go, oh, that's what he said. <laughs> you don't think we're fearfully and wonderfully made? <laughs> Hallelujah. That's right. And, uh, and so God, you know, since we're created in his image, I'm not saying he's got a little tiny snail in his head, but he is a spirit and he is love. But he has thoughts. He expresses thoughts by words. And those words, just like our words are driven by our breath, his words are driven by the breath of God or the spirit of God, breath-driven words. And when you have breath-driven words coming out of God's mouth, guess what you got? Life. You have created stuff. He can speak to the dead spots in your life, and they come alive. If you got a Lazarus attitude, all you have to, Lazarus attitude, come forth. And, poosh, and all of a sudden, what was dead is alive. The Word of God. We believe it. So we believe in the inspiration of the Word of God. We also believe that um, this Word of God, this breath-driven, spirit-driven Word of God's thought, it provides instruction for our life. I couldn't make it without this book showing me the way. You know, I, back in the, in the 70s, I, in the Jesus movement, I had a nice leather-bound book. And, uh, and I had it hand-tooled. And on the front of it, it said, The Manufacturer's Handbook. Because he's the one who made me. He can show me how to live my life. When I try to get away from this, my life sucks. I'm oh, sorry, from the Greco Sakeo. <laughs> but when I'm following his word, when I'm following his word, life does not have a hold on me. I have life within me. That's where we want to be. And you can't get it if you, if you never read this thing. Now, it's not the matrix, there's not some hole in the back of my head. <laughs> I'm a theologian now. No, it's not like that. You, and it's not like, okay, osmosis. You got to open the thing. You got to read the thing. You got to hear it. And it's by his spirit, not by your intellectual prowess. If Smith Wigglesworth, an uneducated plumber who couldn't read, began to read the word of God and began just to proclaim what he read, and people were healed and raised from the dead. He's no respecter of persons. He'll do it for you too. Hallelujah. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the Father who loves me and speaks into me. Thank you for the Holy Ghost that propels God's words to me. And thank God for Jesus who is known as the Word of God. <laughs> Jesus speaks. In the beginning, John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory as that of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus is the Word. Word. Now, and also, all philosophies, creeds, wisdom, and claims to revelation must bow to its authority. You know, authority is just delegated authority. You know, you can take 
the New World Translation, you can take the Jehovah Witness thought process or any cult thought process and lay it up to in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, not a God. God in the flesh, not some, uh, like a Mormon, you can be elevated to a God position if you just do the right things over and over and over again. No. We are called into His presence. We are heirs of the kingdom. We don't have to be little gods. He's the big God. He's the big God. And His Word says it, and I believe it. Amen? Amen. Now, listen. This thing called the Word is everywhere in the Bible. Beginning to last, smack dab in the middle. In the beginning, Genesis 1-3. In the beginning, God said. He spoke. In the, in the middle, he, Jesus, he opened his mouth. He began to teach them saying. He used words. In the end, he who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That's who he is. You know, just back to, to Genesis. In the beginning, God said, if you look at Genesis and just circle all that he did in creation, just chapter 1. He said, he saw, he called, he made, he placed, he created, he blessed. And he didn't stop in Genesis 1. He's doing that to you today. Are you listening? He's not silent. He hasn't stopped speaking. He wrote it down just so you'll have it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of Christ. Now listen. Let me give you a word on words. There's two words in the Greek for word. There may be more, but we're going to talk about two. One is logos. One is rhema. Depending on which one, sometimes determine which camp you fall into. You can't separate the two. Logos means the, something said, including the thought. Of a topic, it means reasoning, emotive, computation, the divine expression. Logos. Everybody needs a little logos in their life. The other word is rhema, which just simply means an utterance, a matter, or a topic. And there is a specific nature to it. Everybody needs both of them. And even when you look at the words, you can't even separate it when you're trying... I mean, sometimes where you think should be a rhema, there's a logos, and where there's a logos, there's a rhema. They just meld together. There's no, no worries about that. Uh, a, a few places where you see like logos, in the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos was God. John 1.1. 1, 1. I think I need that. Don't you? For the Logos of God, the Word of God, is alive, living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
talking about the Word of God. I need that. But then the rhema says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema of God, a specific word. You read the logos, and all of a sudden, here's a word. You need to be saved. And you believe that word, and you act on that word. You confess that word, and salvation rolls in. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every rhema that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the rhema of God, Ephesians 6. In my mind, Gary Montgomery and I, we used to work at a coming sign company, and we would make signs to be lifted up in the sky and be lit so you could see stuff. And when there was a change, who, who remembers the gas station, Esso? Well, before Esso turned into Exxon, Gary and I knew about it before you did. Because we were making the Exxon signs. I mean, that's pretty exciting. And we were, you know, making these signs. And, and I, you know, once they got up, I'd be driving down the road and I'd say, Brenda, look at that sign. I knew about that before anybody. <laughs> A little prideful, but hey. <laughs> the sign that was lifted up that said Exxon was known as their logo. Logo. A logo is something that is either written or drawn or whatever, and it lets you know Exxon, because that's where you can get put something in your tank, Arr, a tiger in your tank, and you're driving down the road, and it is universally seen, Exxon, tiger in your tank, I don't need any, but I'll drive on. Jesus is the logo of God. It's the universal symbol of what he offers. Salvation, Jesus, for whosoever, the logo. Now, as in a car, you're driving along, and if you're pittering and puttering and you're fixing to run out of gas, what are you going to do? You're going to pass Philip 66. You're going to pass Solon Sinclair. You're going to pass whatever until you get to your gas station because I got the best gas and I want a tiger in my tank. And so you see a sign from afar and you pull into that gas station because the logos told you that's where the gas is. That's where what I want resides. And you pull in and you fill it up and you go on. The logos, the word is like that. Jesus is elevated. He says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Because there's a word, his name is Jesus, and he is the word. And many people bypass that sign because they would rather have sex, drugs, and rock and roll. They would rather have bitterness and resentment in their life. They would rather have unforgiveness. They don't need to be filled up with any of this Jesus stuff. But when you get to the point where you've got to have a Savior and you know it, and there that sign is, you pull into the universal sign and you experience the rhema of the gas. He speaks to you and he fills you up with him and you go on blessed and happy. Simple explanation of the word. <clears throat> the word of God is, according to, to 2 Peter, 
no scripture is of man's interpretation. It's by the power of the Spirit speaking. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, uh, All scripture is inspired, God-breathed by God, and it's very profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Verse 18, why? That the man or woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. If you, a lot of people like to work. You get equipped by the Word of God and the power of His Spirit. You're not just out on some tangent. You're staying straight and true. The Word of God speaks to you. The Ruminator Sunday School class, which meets at 9 o'clock every Sunday morning, and you're invited. The roots of the Ruminator Sunday School class is Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Your prosperity, biblical prosperity and biblical success is hinged on your relationship with the Word of God. You can't just take this and shake it up and wish on it because, you know, it's not like dice. Come on, baby. Papa needs a new Cadillac. You shake it up and you want to promise so you just quickly, you know, you spend hours watching TV, but you quickly hope one scripture will get you through the day. Come on, baby. So we shake it up, and this is called the pop it and pick it method. You know, various charismatic terms, you know, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, pop it and pick it. Pop it and pick it's my favorite. You shake it up. You shake it up, baby, now. And you point, and it says, okay, here's my promise for the day. And Judas went out and hung himself. <laughs> Yikes. I need a mulligan. I need a do-over. Come on, God. All right, now. And you go and do likewise. <laughs> I think I'll go uh, have me a cup of coffee. Your prayer life is hinged on the word. If you abide in me, Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done unto you. The key is abiding. The key is the word. And so you're not just making crazy requests. He'll speak to you about what you need to be speaking about. You know, the first Timothy scripture talks about discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. In first Timothy 4, Oh, by the way, if anybody wants copies of all these notes, you can email me and I'll send you a copy. 1 Timothy talks about discipline yourself. Don't let God do it. Take the initiative. Discipline yourself. Why? For the, for the purpose for the, of godliness. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And this discipline is hinged on the Word of God. Now, the areas that he wants you to discipline yourself in, he's talking to young people, talking to Timothy, who was a young buck. He's about 30, and then younger people. He says, discipline yourself in these areas. Your speech. How do you talk? What do you write on Facebook? Now, I've never been... <laughs> 
I've never been on Facebook. I don't know what you're talking about. I try to be a positive light in a negative world, if you understand what I mean. So discipline yourself in the purpose of how you talk. I'm not talking about cussing. Dag nabbit. I'm talking about, do you speak blessing or curse? Do you call things that are not or though they, as though they were, or do you call things that are as if they'll never change? Or do you come in alignment with the Word of God and begin to speak the Word versus your feelings and your emotions? Discipline yourself in your speech. Now, if you get your speech straight, you also need to discipline yourself in your conduct. How do you act outside of this church? I can act all holy and pious with these and thous and hallelujahs. But once I get into other realms, how am I, act, how am I acting? Again, I, I'm not picking on Facebook. Yes, I am. <laughs> There's too many ladies are showing their uh, tatas. Too many ladies are, are, uh, need to clean up their act. Too many gentlemen are looking at it, and they need to pull their pants up. I don't need to see stuff. Well, don't look then. What do you mean don't look? Now, you know there's no condemnation with God sets you free. But when Rod gets on you, look out. You'll be condemned right and left. Uh, 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 discipline yourself in your speech. Discipline yourself in your conduct. Discipline yourself in your faith, what you believe. Don't just believe a bunch of hoodoo. Get the Word of God and believe the Word of God. Discipline yourself in your love. Don't discipline yourself. A lot of people call, call love, love. Honey, I love you. Girls, he's lying. <laughs> he doesn't love you. He lusts you. Discipline yourself into a godly love and then discipline yourself in your purity. What do you allow in your life? If your mind is not renewed by the Word of God, I guarantee you, you're allowing junk in your life. Now, <clears throat> in closing, this thing called the discipline of the Word in 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4 is related to the Word. With verse 11, Paul writes to Timothy, prescribe and teach these things to other people. You know, I want you to let people know this. That's when it says in 12, let no one look down on your youthfulness. Don't give them an excuse with what you say, what you do, and all the other stuff. It also goes for the old geezers out here too, you understand. It's not just for young people. Until, then it says in verse 13, until I come, and Paul was going to make a trip to Timothy, he says, until I come, give attention to the public uh, reading of the Scripture. Don't let the Scripture remain dormant. Read it out loud in the public where people can hear it. If you try to hide it in a closet and read it in there, you can hide your sin in the closet with you and not read it. Read the Word. Read the Word out loud. We do that here. Why do you think Ronnie has to stand up to read the Word? If you're not going to get it anywhere else, you might as well get it here on Sunday morning. <sighs> also, and you may, distractions, that's why you have to give your attention to it. You have to focus. Give your attention to the Scripture. Give your attention to exhortation from the Scripture. Give your attention to the teaching from the Scripture. 
Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands. And verse 15 and 16 really drives it home. How much do you want the word in your life? How much do you want the blessings of God to flow in your life? How much do you want to grow in maturity in the Lord in your life? It is all hinged on your relationship with what you believe about the word. Because Paul tells Timothy, I want you, Timothy, take pains with these things. Have you ever taken pains to get up and read the word in the morning when you didn't want to? That's pretty intensive. Take pains. Then he says, be absorbed in them. Why? So that your progress may be evident to all. I guarantee you, your backpedaling is evident to all. They want to see progress. They want to see that you're different than people. You're just human, right? Jesus hung up for your hang-ups. But if they see that you've got something, they'll want that. Why would they want anything that they already have just like you? The Word will change you in that. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. Last thing. Wichita Slim. Who knows who Wichita Slim is? Raise your hands high. There's a uh, series by Kenneth Copeland, a movie series called Wichita Slim. Cowboys and guns and all this stuff. And he plays a, um, an outlaw who got saved, went to prison, and came out and he's going to be the United States Marshal. Just as he's getting ready to pin the badge on him, his old gang came in and, and started robbing the bank. They went out to stop him, and when his old gang members hit him on the head with a two-by-four, anybody ever been hit on the head by a two-by-four or felt like it in the spiritual realm? And boom! And he had amnesia. His gang took him, took him back and tried to convince him he was still who he was before anything. He was just still a thief and a criminal. And, but he had a Bible. A kid gave him a Bible, and he began to read his Bible, and underlined there was uh, 2 um, Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, and that man is man, woman, or human, ladies, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. He kept reading that and reading that, and he, he knew something was wrong about this lifestyle. Of, That's not who I am, I don't think. And Sticks Callahan, the guy who's the dynamite man blowing things up, and the boss of the gang, they're watching old Wichita over there in the corner reading that thing, and he said, we got to get that Bible away from him. The more he reads it, the more he finds out who he really is. The devil doesn't want you to read the Bible because he knows you'll find out who you are. Faith will come, and you'll start pleasing God because you can't please him without faith. You'll start believing that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, not just those who passively inquire. And things will start to change in your life. Don't you want change? If, I take karate at Bushido School of Karate, and Mr. Taylor's been taking over 40 years. And one of the first katas we learn is first basic kata as a white belt. And he says, I've been taking karate for 40 years, and I'm still learning from first basic. You never stop learning in karate. You never stop learning in the kingdom. He loves you. 
And he wants you to turn into his image so the world can see him instead of us. So, those who are going to pray for people, would you please come up now? I appreciate the honor of sharing the word with you. And I hope you're encouraged. Thank you. I hope you're encouraged to open it up a little more. Read with expectancy that faith is going to come and uh, he's going to do something in your life. And my, my, my brothers and sisters are leading in something as you come. Remember, we've prayed about your heart, your soil. It is prepared to receive the seed of the word of God. And if you've prayed those things, if you're dissatisfied with your life, you don't have to keep on that way. Let the seed come in. Don't let your pride keep you in a seat when, when life can be had. Not because of these people, but because of who he is and his word. So what I want you to do, a bold act of faith. Get out of your seats if you need prayer for anything. And come down and let these people have the honor of touching and agreeing the word so that things can change in your life. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you. The word that, that the Lord is giving to me is that the Lord can heal and restore marriage. The, the Lord can take hurts and pains and he can deal with those things. Uh, if you're thinking about even starting on the road to marriage, you need to have a foundation of the word in your life, uh, a God in your life. I, I, listen, we couldn't have made it. Brenda said she followed the Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife method. She never mentioned divorce, but she thought of murder a couple of times. <laughs> Well, the Holy Ghost wants to do something in your life. He wants to restore marriage. He wants to set a marriage out on the right foot. And it can only come through a relationship with Him. So if that's you out there, you know who you are. Walk by faith and not by sight. Don't wait till it gets good enough. Come now believing and praying that God's going to do something in your marriage. Thank you, Lord. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all thy Lean not to your own understanding.